Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Wednesday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I'm your host, literally Heather. I apologize for the late entry this morning. Uh, things have been wild. My daughter has the flu, um, so it's been a little bit crazy. So uh, President Joe Biden is threatening the return of 401k savings accounts, threatening the comfortable retirements of millions of workers. If you put money into a 401k, be careful. Until now, The law always required that the fund managers entrusted with your savings should invest the money where it's expected to generate top returns for you. Last month, Biden's Labor Department announced a rule change that would go into effect in late January. This will allow fund managers to invest your money in shares of companies that favor specific political policies, even if they earn low returns. This is legal theft. Future earnings on your retirement nest egg are being sacrificed to advanced vigilante agendas. Lower returns mean you'll have to work more years before you retire or start putting more into your 401k, or settle for a lower standard of living in the final years of your life. Biden's rule paves the way for putting your 401k savings into what are called ESG funds. But if you're alert, you can prevent this from happening. What is ESG? E stands for environment, S, social justice, and G for governance, meaning who has been hired or placed on a company board. ESG funds typically invest in companies that oppose fossil fuels, support unionization, and emphasize gender and racial diversity over merit. From an activist perspective, ESG means to expect slower growth. These funds charge high fees and often deliver low returns, especially now that oil company profits and stocks are rising while the tech company's ESG funds favor are underperforming. Two aspects of the Labor Department's rule may concern you. Both reverse worker safeguards adopted by the Trump administration. First, Donald Trump's Labor Department said fund managers are bound to put economic considerations above other issues such as politics. They could consider non-economic issues as tiebreakers only when both companies present similar risks and opportunities for investors. Biden's Labor Department eliminated that standard, saying that it had a worrying effect on ESG sales. So they're literally trying to manipulate the market to inflate the value of underperforming products and using your and my retirement money to do it. The Biden rule states that 401k managers, quote, are not prohibited from making investments or selecting investment courses of action based on collateral benefits other than investment returns. Politics can get priority. The regulation cites Biden's goal to prioritize both environmental justice and the creation of well-paying union jobs. The second worrisome switch is that Biden is making ESG funds available for default funds when a staffer doesn't choose one. The Trump administration had banned it, 
Biden's governance would inadvertently push more workers into these funds. Biden's ruling will eventually be challenged in court and likely will be overturned. The Labor Department portrays this as the only explanation of a 1974 law enacted by Congress, the Employee Retirement Income Security Act, that requires 401k retirement plan sponsors to act, quote, solely in the best interests of savers. In effect, the new rule overturns ERISA. The Labor Department is trying to do what only Congress has. In the meantime, employees should avoid getting caught up in the ESG scheme unless they are prepared to sacrifice their retirement to advance a leftist political agenda. Elon Musk just tweeted, ESG is the devil. It's a republic if you can keep it. Benjamin Franklin once said, The Georgia runoff election has concluded, and Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock has defeated Republican Herschel Walker. This gives Democrats a 51-49 to Senate majority. The extra cushion of winning in Georgia means control of the Senate committees and more leeway in tight votes. It also means a lot more limelight for Kamala Harris as she will no longer be playing the tiebreaker on the Senate floor. Yay for us. Maybe she can tell us more about the passage of time. Facebook parent Meta Platforms Incorporated said Tuesday it will be forced to consider removing news content from its platform if Congress passes legislation requiring tech companies to pay news outlets for their material. The Journalism Competition and Preservation Act, if passed, would allow news companies to collectively negotiate with social platforms over the terms on which their material appears on their sites. Meta said it would rather pull news from its platforms than to submit to government-mandated negotiations that unfairly disregard the value that they provide to news outlets. The value, Meta said in a statement tweeted by spokesman Andy Stone, includes increased traffic and subscriptions. Senator Amy Klobuchar, a Democrat from Minnesota and the bill's sponsor, said the legislation simply allows news organizations to band together to negotiate better prices for their news content with the, quote, biggest companies the world has ever known. In one quarter, Google made just $65 billion in ad revenue, while newspapers and little radio stations folded left and right. We're just simply trying to get a fair price for content. Fair. Such an interesting word. But here's the rub. No one subscribes to news outlets anymore. If I find an article that's behind a paywall, I just search until I find one that's reporting the same information but isn't charging for it. News organizations need social media platforms far more than the other way around. Life isn't fair. Apple has been sued by two women who allege their previous romantic partners used the company's AirTag devices to track their whereabouts, potentially putting their safety at risk. The proposed class action lawsuit was filed in federal court in San Francisco on Monday on behalf of one woman from Texas and another in New York. They are seeking unspecified monetary damages. One of the women said her ex-boyfriend allegedly placed an AirTag, a small tracking device, slightly larger than a quarter, and intended to help locate lost items into the wheel well of a tire on her car. The device was allegedly colored with a Sharpie marker and tied up in a plastic baggie to disguise it. 
The other woman, named in the lawsuit as Jane Doe, said her ex-husband, who had been harassing her and challenging her about her whereabouts, placed an air tag in her child's backpack. Though she attempted to disable it, another one showed up soon in its place, according to the complaint. Miss Doe continues to fear for her safety, at minimum. Her stalker has evidenced a commitment to continuing to use air tags to track, harass, and threaten her and continues to use air tags to find plaintiff's location. She seeks to bring this action anonymously due to the real risk of being identified, and that would expose her to increased risk of harassment and or physical harm. This isn't the first time that air tags have allegedly been used for unwanted tracking. In June, a woman from Indiana allegedly used one to track and ultimately murder her boyfriend over an alleged affair. They've also, you gotta watch out for those Indiana girls. They're fucking crazy. Um, (laughs) Just kidding. They've also allegedly been used to steal cars earlier this year. Apple added more safeguards to the AirTag to cut down on unwanted tracking. In a blog post, Apple said it has worked with safety groups and law enforcement agencies to identify more ways to update its AirTag safety warnings, including alerting people sooner and louder if the small Bluetooth tracker is suspected to be tracking someone. We condemn in the strongest possible terms any malicious use of our products, the company said. But the new lawsuit alleges those safeguards have done little to protect victims. While Apple has built safeguards into the AirTag product, they're woefully inadequate and do little, if anything, to promptly warn individuals if they are being tracked. It added that the women wanted to file the lawsuit on behalf of those who, quote, have been and are at risk of stalking via this dangerous product. I remember when Remington paid that ungodly settlement over the Sandy Hook lawsuit, and I thought to myself at that moment, and I'm pretty sure I shared with you guys, that we'd reached a new level of litigiousness when we're holding manufacturers and producers responsible not for their products, but for the actions of others using their products. What's next? Suing Anheuser-Busch because someone made poor decisions, even criminal ones, while intoxicated? Are we going to start suing Ford and Chevrolet for their tools being used in drunk driving accidents? Not to mention, the AirTag in the child's backpack could be a concern for the child's well-being by the father. Without knowing more than Jane Doe's side of the story, and I'm not discrediting it, But I could understand a father wanting to know that his daughter is safe or where she's located when he's not able to be there with her all the time. I'm not sure that suing Apple is the route that needs to be taken for the actions of these men. A Manhattan jury has found two Trump Organization companies guilty on multiple charges of criminal tax fraud and falsifying business records connected to a 15-year scheme to defraud tax authorities by failing to report and pay taxes on compensation for top executives. The Trump Corps and Trump Payroll Corps were found guilty on all charges that they faced. Donald Trump and his family were not charged in this case, but the former president was mentioned repeatedly during the trial by prosecutors about his connection to the benefits doled out to certain executives, including company-funded apartments, car leases, and personal expenses. The Trump Organization could face a maximum of $1.61 million in fines when sentenced in mid-January. 
The company is not at risk of being dismantled because there is no mechanism under New York law that would dissolve the company. However, a felony conviction could impact its ability to do business or obtain loans and contracts. Trump is also facing a $250 million civil lawsuit from the New York Attorney General, alleging he and his adult children were involved in a decade-long fraud. The Attorney General is seeking to permanently bar them from serving as an officer or director of a company in the New York State, among other penalties. The jury heard that Trump agreed on a whim to pay the private school tuition for his Weisselberg's grandchildren and signed a lease for a Manhattan apartment to shorten the executive's commute. Trump personally signed his employees' bonus checks at Christmas time, and he initialed a memo reducing the salary of another top executive, which prosecutors said suggested he knew all along about the fraudulent scheme. Prosecutors alleged for years top executives reduced their reported salaries by the amount of the company-issued fringe benefits, to avoid paying the required taxes. Weisselberg, who is on paid leave from the company, spent three days on the witness stand. He pleaded guilty to 15 felonies for failing to pay taxes on $1.76 million in income. As part of his plea deal, he will be sentenced to five months in jail if the judge finds that he testified truthfully. Man. I realize that a crime was committed, but it's really hard to hate on people who commit tax fraud because who wants to pay the government more money? Furthermore, who wants to pay them money on things that aren't money? Oh, as my boss, you value me and what I bring to the company so much that you want to pay for my apartment so I can be at home earlier to spend time with my family? I appreciate that gift so much. Hey, government. Allow me to show my gratitude to my boss by paying you money in exchange for this gesture of my employer. The government will hide billions of dollars in slush funds and in-kind favors to friends and family through government contracts, but please, come after me for my $600 Venmo transaction and this reliable vehicle that my employer gave me. Your optimism article of the day comes as an update from an earlier story that I shared with you guys last week. San Francisco lawmakers voted again to ban police robots from using deadly force on Tuesday, reversing course one week after officials had approved the practice and sparked national outrage. The city's board of supervisors voted to explicitly prohibit the San Francisco Police Department from using the 17 robots in its arsenal to kill people. The board, however, also sent the issue back to a committee for further review which means that it could later decide to allow lethal force in, quote, some circumstances. The U-term came after the majority of members on the 11-person board had voted last week to allow robots to be armed with explosives and use them to kill people when, quote, risk of loss of life to members of the public or officers is imminent and outweighs any other force options available to SFPD. The board had also added an amendment saying that only high-ranking officers would be allowed to kill people and authorize deadly force. The initial decision to allow killer robots was met with widespread criticism from civil rights groups and shone a harsh light on the increasing militarization of U.S. police forces. 
supervisors, and police officials who had originally supported the use of lethal force had said the robots would kill people only in extraordinary cases, such as suicide bombings or active shooter situations. The new policy does allow SFPD to use robots for situational awareness, such as sending the equipment into dangerous situations while officers stay behind. This I actually support. There's less confrontation and less opportunity for escalation and human error. On Monday, Supervisor Gordon Marr tweeted he regretted voting in favor of lethal robots and said he'd be switching his position. Even with additional guardrails, I've grown increasingly uncomfortable with our vote and the precedent it sets for other cities without a strong commitment to police accountability. I do not think making state violence more remote, distant, and less human is a step forward. I do not think robots with lethal force will make us safer or prevent or solve crimes, he added. Good for him. In a society that has become so incapable of admitting, hey, I may have made a mistake, mea culpa, let me move forward and, and do better. Um you know, give credit where credit's due. This is an opportunity that they saw where they made the wrong decision and they're rectifying that. And I think that it's important to recognize those moments. Um, I think that that's awesome that the people spoke and the board reevaluated their position and, and made a change according to public opinion, which is how governance should be done. So that's, that's a plus. Uh, Quietly and with very little fanfare, a U.S. judge has dismissed a lawsuit against Saudi Arabia's Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, claiming that he conspired to kill Jamal Khashoggi, saying that the Crown Prince was entitled to sovereign immunity despite credible allegations that he was involved in the murder. The decision to dismiss the civil claim, which was brought by Khashoggi's fiance, Hatis Sangiz, I think is how you say her name, and Don, a pro-democracy group, founded by the murdered journalist, likely marks the end of efforts to hold the future Saudi king accountable for the 2018 murder. The dismissal of the civil claim against Prince Mohammed and two of his close associates, Saud al-Qatani and Ahmed al-Asiri, means the Saudi heir can now travel to the U.S. and other jurisdictions freely. Although the case was not brought by U.S. prosecutors with the power to arrest him, if it had been allowed to proceed, the case would have created a legal minefield for the crown prince, and if he had been found guilty, could have put his financial interests in the United States in jeopardy, and U.S. oil interests, if we're being honest here. In an angry statement to the Guardian, Calamard, who is now Director General of Amnesty International, listed multiple parties who she claimed had contributed to the impunity for the state murder of Jamal Khashoggi, from Saudi Arabia itself to President Recep Tayyip Erdogan in Turkey, and also Joe Biden. And I am not mentioning all the governments and heads of businesses, sporting and cultural events who courted, sold, and bought from the state responsible for murdering Jamal Khashoggi. This is the reality of our world, press, freedom, and human rights betrayed repeatedly. But still we stand, and still we fight. We are not defeated. We know the truth, she said. Prince Mohammed has said he takes responsibility for the murder, but has denied any personal involvement in approving the killing. Judge Bates' ruling comes years after then-candidate Joe Biden promised that he would hold the Saudi 
Prince accountable for the murder if he was elected president and suggested that Prince Muhammad ought to be treated as a global pariah for his alleged role in the killing. And that has resulted in Mohammed bin Salman buddying up with Vladimir Putin and lowering uh, oil production output. It'd be really cool if so many people had this kind of energy for Julian Assange, but it's amazing that that's never reserved for the torturous decisions made by the United States in its persecution of actual journalists. That is your Wednesday edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I hope you guys have a great day. And uh, we've got Liberty Library this evening covering chapters five through eight of Michael Knowles' book, Speechless. If you would like to join us, that will begin at 10.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you guys so much. You take care. Have a great day. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.